It's the Warbler Crazy Podcast, talking all things warblers, birding, photography, gear, and even bagels on the road. Join the fun and foolishness with your co-host, Stephen Michaels, and his sidekick, Enrico Palazzo. Now, from their bunkers in suburban New Jersey, it's time for Warbler Crazy. What's happening, everybody? How about that theme song and opener? Outstanding. That's me on guitar, baby. Yes, it is. So (laughs) let me introduce myself. My name is Stephen Michaels. Welcome to the Warbler Crazy Podcast. Ahoy, I am your captain here. Please say hello to my sidekick. Sidekick? The Enrico Palazzo. How you doing, buddy? Okay, Stephen, how are you? Hey, so today is monday it's the last monday in march and we are recording in the suburbs in our bunkers in suburban new jersey and this is kind of the new normal this coronavirus it's really you know it's kind of changed everything Uh, we went from being outside and kind of living our lives and as bird photographers engaging and going to different locations to the point where now like you can't go outside just have to kind of let this thing run its course so we were thinking of different ways to still kind of be engaged with the community have some fun share what we love to do and really today's podcast is about us nice but then it's going to be yeah it's going to be about our listeners after that so we wanted to put together uh 10 episodes and hey if this takes off we will happily continue to do it. If not, our exercise in futility was fun. But I think that we're going to have a fun time doing this. We're going to bring in a couple of guests. We're going to talk about our episodes and kind of everything that we do out on the field. So for me, um, how are you doing? Have you been outside? What have you been up to? I have not been out very much at all. Um, I am in my, this would be, this is my 10th day, really, of quarantine. Uh, I had a little bit of a personal situation, which required uh, at least a week of quarantine. And I thought it was wise to take a couple of extra days. Unfortunately, you know, everything's fine. Um, I, uh, uh, I really haven't been out, but to go to my office, I think on Tuesday, when I knew you know, no one had been there and no one would be there for the remainder of that week right i've been to the grocery store you know wearing gloves and being masked twice um Mm -hmm. and that is it for the rest of it i have been i've been inside my condo here in bergen county and um i haven't i haven't moved my, my brother lives in the same building that i live in and i haven't seen him but once he dropped something off and he didn't even come in my apartment he left by the front door so right. um yeah i you know I'm, I'm here with my girlfriend and we've been here since last thursday yeah i mean it's I, anybody that knows me knows i tend to overdo everything i was worrying about this coronavirus in january yeah you were uh, yeah yeah you, was, yeah, you I, were <laughs> i was worried about this in january and i was just like oh man so i was going on a tear out to different locations because i kind of had this 
whole buildup. I mean, I've seen all of these movies. I watched The Walking Dead. I know how this goes. Right, yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know? So, so... <laughs> when civilization uh, falls know, apart, it happens fast. Right, so I was out shooting every weekend, doing what I could, because I wanted to have as many pictures as I could, and we did get some really cool birds this winter. We did. And up until about a week or so ago, uh, I was going out every day um, on the weekend and trying to, you know, even during the week, uh, if I could, after work, I would hit a location. And unfortunately, now at this point, it's shooting from my home feeders. I'm at least in a situation where I can kind of put up some feeders. I know you're on the ninth floor in a yeah. in an apartment condo, yeah. so it's kind of tough for you to do that. So maybe right. I'll send over some of my house sparrows to the oh, ninth floor there for you. If I could get away, if, if I could get away with going up to the roof and setting up a feeder there, I would. Right. I, right, I right. don't think they're going to let me do it. Right. Well, that's yeah. I mean, that's that's the whole thing because a lot of you know where we are is mostly suburban and urban. I mean, I yeah, live yeah, yeah. kind of, you know, right between Newark and Jersey city. So, uh, I'm, I'm happy enough that I am getting some birds here and, um, setting up some feeders, but you know, really it is the epicenter. We're not going out. So what can we do? Well, we have some fun. We, we try to do some different things. We can and, talk. Yeah, we can talk. And so <laughs> we're going to share what we do with everybody else. So, Today's episode being about us was to start kind of at the predictable beginning, which was how we met. Ah. And, you know, I know <laughs> that it's been about a 10 year dynamic for both of us. Yeah. And it started off mostly musical, but just kind of like remind me, how, how, how did we meet again? Wasn't it like through Facebook? Right? We, we met through Facebook, right? You knew I have, I have two brothers. The one that lives in my building is my middle brother. And then I have a younger, a younger brother, quite a, who's quite a bit younger, actually, um, who, uh, who lives out in another part in another town. And um, he is a rather accomplished drummer. He's been in a number of bands locally. He's been in a number of bands nationally. And as I recall, there, there was some connection. I'm not sure what it was. I think right. it, was, it was second or third party, but you knew him. And right. you, got, you guys were connected on Facebook. Um, and as my brothers and I are want to do, when we have an opinion about something, we will express it. <laughs> and I and I know, uh, you know, not not always politely, not always politely, but certainly poignantly. And Chris had said something about what some subject. I don't know. I, I, I could never remember what it was. And I went on some kind of a rant about it as I as I will do. Surprise, surprise. Yeah, right. right. You know, that's 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 more more the rule rather than the exception, frankly. Right. And it was one of my better rants. It was, it went on and on, but it, like I said, it was poignant. And I just remember you responded by saying, all this post needs is some ice cream and a belly rub. And I thought that was like, to this day, it remains one of the funniest comments I've ever seen on Facebook. It was, it was genius, particularly considering how hot the conversation was. Right. So, well, so that's, I, that's what we do. Right. So I asked my brother, who is this guy? I got to meet him. And he told me right away, oh, that's, that's Steve. He's, a, he's an excellent guitar player. You guys should definitely talk to each other. You'd really get along. And he was right. I contacted you through Facebook. We 
chatted back and forth a little bit. And then it turned out that I had a Les Paul that was really broken. Um, and, uh, you know, I'd gotten it secondhand. I knew it was broken when I got it for you know, a little bit of money. And I wanted to know whether or not you knew a guitar tech who might be, be able to do something with it. And you did. Um, it turns out I didn't have him work on that guitar. Um, I had him work on a different Les Paul which needed further work when I got it back from. <laughs> right. I was going to say, I think the conversations of me being asked who to recommend services for kind of ended at that point. Right. right. But it was, but it, but it, listen, it was, it was all good. Um, but we never actually met face to face until several weeks after that, you and my middle brother and I went to the guitar show in there was a Philadelphia guitar show in King of Prussia, Pennsylvania. Right. And we drove out there together, and we had a, we had a, we had a good time. Yeah, we did, and and you know it was funny because we mostly it was a social type of you know it was a Facebook type of thing, and and right. that was a phenomenon for me where I, I don't have a lot of Facebook friends that I don't know, mm -hmm. and in the last couple of years, but especially you know. 10 years ago, that was something weird to me. You know, I'm not 15, you know what I right, mean? Like that's right. not something that a 40 year old man does, you know, is make friends through, you know, Correct. Facebook. But I felt like, you know, we kind of had hit it off. We had enough mutual friends where it like just wasn't creepy. Right. Um, <laughs> despite, you know, and, not and, creepy despite the age difference. <laughs> right. Right. Not creepy at all. And, and so I think that that was kind of what did it. And, you know, we had the guitar thing in common and ultimately that was kind of that and other interests um, where we would kind of go back and forth. And so at one point when I kind of got into doing photography, mm -hmm. I remember you calling me Ansel Adams. Oh, in yeah. A pejorative way. In, in a, in a very, not nice manner. Very it pejorative. It wasn't complimentary. Way. It was definitely not nice. No. But it was good ribbing, and after you know, I went down and started doing it more and more. I know that the whole thing kind of you know changed for well for myself it changed, and then I know obviously for you it changed. Mm -hmm. But for me, it was a matter of you know this was something creative, it was something challenging, and it was fun. You know what I mean? Like we just had fun doing it, and I did it enough where. Um, I had a friend who was another guitar player and he took me out. He was established. He actually uh, does digiscoping for those that don't know. That's where you have a little uh, camera that you attach to basically a spotting scope and you take these photos of birds and it's so much harder than shooting mirrorless and DSLR because everything is manually focused. Well, this dude was an expert. He was a master. He was one of the best guys in the u.s he was going to all these different birding festivals and representing the brands koa and swarovski besides being an excellent photographer he was also a really really amazing birder and at first i was just like wow this is really cool i don't know how i could ever do this but then when i went down and i first shot goldfinches it was like oh man this is fun you know and you kind of start to get into it and you embrace it and it becomes just a part of your life to the point where like hey where's steve oh he's down in the swamps again <laughs> and it was literally right right all I mean, the time what it was. all the time so 
from 2016 to uh, about 2018, I was kind of hanging out with my friend Kevin. And, you know, he was, it was great to have a mentor of it. Really knew what was going on because it would have taken me 10 years to figure out what I learned in two years. Oh, yeah. The, the, he was, the, the, the learning curve is steep. It's very steep. And, you know, he was showing me the spots. He was showing me kind of how to set up, you know, the best spots for the light, kind of getting into the feather detail, all the little things that kind of, you know, when, when you're doing this takes you like, you know, if you're really analytical and that's, there's a part of this that obviously requires that, you know, on top of the homework of understanding the birds and the whole part of like the calls and what kind of trees they like, what kind of bugs they eat, all of that. I, I mean, honestly, I'll tell you what I, I found really interesting about that, Steve, is that despite everything that, that Kevin taught you and he taught you a lot. I mean, he really, you know, it's obvious. It was obvious at the time that he had really taken you under his wing to impart this wisdom on you. The difference in your styles of shooting was, was and remained remarkable. Well, he, he was very much, and, and he's had a couple uh, there's a great author here, and he does bird tours. A guy named Rick Wright, really awesome dude. Uh, he's based out of New Jersey, but he travels the world. He writes field guides. And Kevin actually had sold him uh, a bunch of photos for his books. He's actually got a new book, I think, in the last like year, um, and it's the Peterson's Guide to Sparrows. And Kevin has, I think, three or four shots in there. And they're all fantastic, mm -hmm. you know? And so Kevin's approach was, I, I don't want to say field guide, because that almost kind of comes off as like, you know, backhanded. Right, insult. right, right, right. But, but really, he was more about being on the bird, really kind of showing the feather detail, showing what the bird looked like, where I think my thing was more of a composition. And I'm still always working on that. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm not saying that I'm anywhere where I want to be with that. And I'm always kind of challenging myself where like, should the bird be bigger in the frame? But that's where Kevin's style had differed from mine. And ultimately, you know, that's something where I think, you know, you, you have your own, <clears throat> you have your own style as well with doing that. And I think right. everybody that does that, that's the beauty of this. It's, sure. it, it is subjective. Right. And so that's what we all, as bird photographers and photographers all do, you know, we all try to craft our own, you know, and that's what it was like with guitar playing. It was the same thing, you know, with guitar playing sure. music, it's vibrato, it's legato. It's all these things that are applicable to the instrument. And it's the same thing. Or, or in my case, just not good. <laughs> right. You just were terrible, honestly. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's not nice, but <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it really it really became subjective to, you know, to the person doing it. So there's so many good photographers. And when I see other people's work, especially, you know, on Flickr and Instagram and mm -hmm. you, you go like even when you're out with people, I could be standing next to somebody and they shoot neck, you know, they shoot with me. And we're on the same bird. And I'm like, well, it, dude, how did you do that? Like, how did you yeah. end up with that shot? So that's the thing about this. And I think that's why when you're a photographer, the way that you see the bird and the whole subject is more important 
than the gear that you use, obviously. In your case, you know, it, we make a joke about it all the time, but there aren't too many bird photographers that were using Pentax gear. And that's right. Kind of, you kind of hit a nice little stride by using Pentax gear to the point where they had recognized a bunch of your shots. Yeah. There wasn't, you know, again, you kind of on Instagram, people were like, you shooting a Pentax? And <laughs> and so, it, dude, it kind of comes back to how you see the bird, mm-hmm. and how you see the whole landscape is more important than the gear. I started off with a D3300 Nikon, which is basically a $300 camera. Right. The more you do it, the more you practice, the more you absorb and consume it. It just makes you a better photographer. Mm-hmm. Now, if you don't take criticism and you don't look at things honestly, you know, if you sit there and you kind of go, oh, this stuff is great, and you don't listen to other people, you're never really going to get better. So you do, in a way, have to have a thick skin because sure. if you don't challenge yourself, you're never going to improve. And so that's the one thing where I do try to challenge myself and try to look at different whether it's lighting, whether it's composition, obviously for me, it's really just about the distance from where I am to the bird, to the background. So it's all about those things on a more granular level than whether you're shooting a $10,000, you know, lens, it's more about who you are. And to me, that's what this is really about. So the one thing that what I'd like to do when I'm out in the field is really kind of try to spot the whole scene, put the composition together in my mind. And then there's times where just when we're out there and we go, you know, Oh my God, look, there's a Perula and And you're just pointing and clicking. It's just praying. So there's no right or wrong way to do that. So for, for the way that I tend to think, it's really kind of a case by case basis. And I think the amount of time that we put into that is what we get out of Mm -hmm. it. And that's what makes it so entertaining and so enjoyable. And for me, you know, it's, it's more about the whole experience than one thing. Obviously the fun meter gets peaked when we're on. Absolutely. But you know, if we're not, if we're not out there at four o'clock having fun, and it's it's not fun, then we really shouldn't be shouldn't doing, be doing that. it. That's great. Yeah. yeah. You know, so for me, you know, getting introduced to Kevin, you know, 30 years ago as a guitar player and having him as a mentor <laughs> this much, you know, this many years later kind of led me to where I was. Now, I know you kind of have a different arc where you got to the birds. I know you had been more of a traditional, you shoot your family, right. you'd go out and see different sites. Well, right. Yeah. I, you know, my, my introduction to, to photography started when, when I was very young, my dad had an interest in it. He always had good gear. Um, Polaroid was his, was his gear of choice. And, you know, I'm, I'm of an age. So Polaroid was very, was very relevant in my life uh, to the point that, you know, like the first quote real camera I ever got, uh, I got as a first communion gift. I got a, a, a Polaroid Swinger, the original model, the Model 20, back in 1967, 1968, something like that. Um, mm-hmm. And I loved that camera. You know, as I said, I'd, I'd seen my dad taking pictures, 
And I, I desperately wanted a camera. I got it. I remember being absolutely over the moon. And I used that camera all the time. It took the most for, for a little. And I, I actually looked at I actually looked it up today, by the way. It had something like an, uh, an F-17 uh, meniscus, non-focusing meniscus lens and, and a steady 1-200 shutter speed. And the only thing you adjusted on it was the aperture. There was, there was a light meter above, above the lens. And there was a little screen inside that said yes when the light was right. And you took a picture. And yet somehow every shot I ever took with that camera was in focus. It was, it was absolutely amazing. And I loved it. I had it for the longest time. I used it until I couldn't get any film for it somewhere in the 1970s, mid to late 1970s. You couldn't, you couldn't get film where the film you had wasn't any good anymore. Um, and then from there in high school, uh, you know, Everybody had Instamatics. That was that was kind of the rage, and photography was kind of boring until I got a Pentax K1000 because that was the recommended camera to get for photography course that I was taking. It was durable. It was not terribly expensive, and it took great pictures. And I used that camera probably for about, I'm going to say six, maybe seven years. I think I either lost it or got stolen somewhere between college and graduate school. Uh, and then I didn't have a camera for a couple of years. I had some Super 8 film cameras, movie cameras uh, that I was using. Uh, but subsequent to that, once I graduated from, from school and I was done and I was working, I went out and I wanted to get a 35, another 35 millimeter camera. Uh, and I had a bunch of Pentax glass. And if you know anything about the Pentax ecosystem, they came out, the lenses they made back in the 60s and 70s will still work on your modern Pentax cameras. So I went out and I got an Emmy Super, which I still have, still functions. I had it overhauled. It takes, still takes great pictures now that film is available again. Uh, and finally came time for me to get into the digital world. And I think the first digital camera I ever had was a little Canon point and click. And I went from that to a Minolta Dimage F100. I still have it. I still use it when I to take pictures of stuff I sell on eBay. And uh, but I wanted a DSLR. And um, my girlfriend was uh, had a pretty pretty busy modeling career at the time, so my my interest in it had been peaked. I went out. I got myself the um, the K200 Pentax K200. Uh, it was an okay camera. It was not a great camera. Um, in fact, it bears the distinction of having the shortest DSLR production run in history. So, so let that be a lesson to you. Um, but a couple of years ago, we decided to go to Paris. Um, and my photography was, was getting pretty good in terms of what I was doing, which was mostly, you know, touristy, architectural, family things. But I had photographed my brother's wedding and under some really challenging lighting conditions because i was learning how to use some of the different functions of the camera i i, I got some really really good results I, I put together an album of several hundred photos that we actually used to make their wedding video from and it was it was great and it was encouraging so when we decided we were going to take this trip to paris a couple of years ago oddly enough to go to another wedding um i thought it was time for a new camera and at that time, Pentax's 
top of the line camera was the K32. So I got that. Uh, went to Paris and under some very challenging conditions, riding around on a bus during the day uh, and at night, I got some. Well, you've seen them. I got some really, really good shots. Um, yeah, you got, you got some. You know, cool where shots. there wasn't any time to really set up composition. It was pretty much here we go, right. get the shot, or you're going to miss it. Um, and I, I got some really great stuff, stuff that I'm, I'm, I'm really very, very fond of. Um, slightly, not well, not slightly. I was in a couple of months after that. Um, your, your work that you were publishing on, on Facebook um, was showing not just promise or improvement, but real quality. I mean, it was impressive stuff. And the detail the composition was was really very very good and i had to stop making fun of you because it, <laughs> it just wasn't funny anymore it was really good um you know good jokes a good joke but there's some things that are just too good to joke about and, and your work was one of them uh thank you thank you yeah you're very welcome it's it, it, it's the truth so um it looked it looked interesting it looked it looked challenging and it looked creative. Um, I wasn't playing much guitar anymore by that point either. As you know, I had a, I had a pretty significant neck injury, which was affecting and still affects my ability to play guitar. At least that's my excuse now. It wasn't my excuse five years ago, but it is now. Um, and this looked, you know, so I didn't really, I, I didn't really have a creative outlet, outlet anymore. I wasn't doing that. I had been doing auto racing in the past and I wasn't doing that anymore. And I needed something. And this this looked it looked challenging. It looked creative. It looked intriguing. So I spoke to you about it. You pointed me in the right direction in terms of lenses and what they should be in terms of reach and, and f-stop and all that. Um, and I got myself a pretty good-sized lens that we stuck on the K3 II. And you took me to a couple of places. Um I got some really great pictures my first day out with it. I was telling my wife at the time that Enrico was coming out with me and she was like, really? What is he doing? Going to come to like laugh at you? And I said, no, he wants to give it a shot. <laughs> and so, and she actually came with us when we went, we went to, to New York. To yeah. The, to New York for the ducks, for the wood ducks. And even she was blown away at how cool it was. Because, again, you know, when you see the photos that people get, a lot of times it's like they don't realize, like, what you're doing. You're getting down on your hands and knees yeah. on that yeah, level. Yeah, yeah. You know, you're, you're, you know, you're doing some stuff. You exactly. Know? And so, so, so that, was, that was part of it. And then I remember, you know, on the way back, you're like, oh, that was pretty cool. So then I go, all right, well, next week we're going to go find pine warblers in south jersey and i was just like all right i'm gonna lose him after this you know I was like <laughs> he's he's gonna go for raptors because i automatically assume everyone's gonna go you know bypass the songbirds and do not pass go go straight to the paradise exactly. yeah. yeah. you know northern right. new jersey uh you know and that's usually what most of the bird photographers do it's it's a strange breed that prefers songbirds and that's what we are we're a yeah. strange breed but um when i took you down to see the uh the pine mm -hmm. warbler and uh the pine warblers and the bluebirds, the bluebirds that weekend, especially you yeah. were like 
like it was it was the IV man. You were just jacked it, up. It, that that's that. true, and it's funny. It's funny you talk about the Raptors because I I can remember back then thinking to myself, okay, we're gonna we're gonna go do whatever this is we're gonna do with warblers. I didn't even know what a warbler was at the time. Um, you know, I thought a red winged blackbird was a, was a Baltimore Oriole, but um, I figured. At some point, we got to go for the big birds, right? We're going to go for the raptors. And you're right. That's right. absolutely what I thought I wanted to do. You know, here I am fully. I mean, this, this right, this past weekend literally marks one year in. And um, I've been, I've done, you know, 99.999% songbirds. But, uh, you know, that aside, it was, it was not the style of photography that I liked. It was, you're you're in one place and the bird is there and you're going to get the shot or you're not. Um, there's very little listen for the bird, listen for the call, find the habitat, you know, that kind of thing. I, I think what we do is just, it's, it's much more engrossing. You're much more involved in it. It's much more in the moment. Right. Exactly. And so that part of it is the creativity. And so, I'm always, and you know me, I'm always challenging you and myself always, to try always. to do something that we haven't done. Now, again, you know, a lot of times it's dumb luck. Like the time that we got the hooded merganser, we had the red radio tower right, right across the <laughs> lake from us, which looked like this beautiful sunrise. Right. Meanwhile, it was sunrise, but the light was nowhere near that great because of that. It was the red, the red radio tower. Absolutely. So it, it just, it's probably one of my best all time shots. And it's, it's funny because it's not real. I mean, the light's not right. real in the sense right. where that's not real uh, golden hour sunlight. It's a radio tower, right? Across right. Reflecting, right. but right again, you know, that's the thing. I mean, that's the amazing part of this is that there are those happy accidents. Mm -hmm. And so when you're out there, it's all about experimenting. And sometimes you just don't know what's going to happen unless you try. So I think for me, part of the journey in doing this podcast is the extension of us not being in the field. So where I want to leave it right now is to put this podcast as an extension of the field for us to have those conversations to really engage with those that aren't out that are missing it as well we're going to give these 10 episodes a real fun crack and we want to invite everybody to please subscribe leave a review share the show and get involved with us so we have some really cool episodes like i said we have 10 episodes that we're planning to do Hopefully you guys will listen to them, share them. And if you like it, we're going to keep making them. But for the foreseeable future, we've got nine more episodes to go after now. So for today, I am Stephen Michaels and he is. I am Enrico Palazzo. We will talk to you guys very soon. Bye-bye everybody.